Hello, beautiful superhumans. What a blessing to spend time with you today. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Superhumanize podcast. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. We're living in times of uncertainty and great challenges. The economic systems as we know them are shaken to the core and the ecology of the entire planet is threatened due to our doing. There is this saying that a tiger cannot change its stripes, meaning we cannot change our essential nature. I do believe in the power and possibility of profound change that lies within each one of us. And currently we are witnessing a dramatic shift within human consciousness in the midst of these tumultuous times. And evolve, we must, if we are to remain as a viable species on a healthy planet. The story of today's guest is one of profound change. On the outside, Adam Hall had achieved the American dream. He was a financial power broker on the pinnacle of material achievement. He had founded three successful real estate development companies before personal devastation forced him to reassess his life. Adam met his misery by undertaking a life-changing metamorphosis that altered his mindset from earth conqueror to earth keeper, becoming an author, speaker, futurist, impact investor, and conservationist. As the CEO of Renaissance Capital, Adam raised $1.5 billion in capital investment helping conserve natural landscapes in perpetuity. He spent two decades as an impact investor dedicated to the quadruple bottom line, people, planet, profits with purpose, and founded the Earth Keeper Alliance. Adam has dedicated himself to fostering conscious evolution through his books, Divine Genius, The Unlearning Curve, Book of Genius, Abundance, and the first book in his autobiographical trilogy, The Earth Keeper, Undeveloping the Future. Adam continues to share ways to elevate consciousness and create optimal inner wellness. He's also the founder and CEO of the Genius Studio, creator of the Genius Process, and he works with accomplished leaders who are seeking more contentment, alignment, and personal meaning in their lives. Committed to helping others get in touch with their innate power for personal, professional, and planetary transformation, Adam's mission in life is to help change a billion minds about how we do business and our relationship with ourselves, each other, and the planet. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Adam, welcome to the Superhumanized podcast. It is such a joy to be able to spend time with you today. Oh, you're so welcome, Mariana. It's great to be here with you and all your listeners. Thank you so much. And uh, Adam, something that really popped into my mind, reading about you, reading your life's history and about your mission was what 
came up in my mind was this image of the archetype of a warrior. And now what's interesting about that is if we look at indigenous tribes or at our own history, our ancestors in the past, the warrior is someone who protected the tribe and looked out for the well-being, for the welfare of the entire tribe. And if we look at our culture nowadays, more often than not, the warrior is this entity that looks out for himself and takes out anyone who stands in his or her way. Why do you think that has changed so much? At least we are holding that the old model of the warrior that we see in business and elsewhere in the world is evolving. And I know on a pers- from a personal perspective, I was that old warrior. I was that, that, that conqueror that, and I actually dubbed myself affectionately the earth conqueror yeah. when I published my first book, The Earth Keeper, back in several years ago. And what, I, what ultimately came to me, and I think it's maybe coming to our culture in general, was that the old warrior model of just say conquer and destroy the, which has obviously been very prolific in building our culture around the patriarchal, kind of that masculine piece that, that that's what it goes out to do. I do see that, as you said, Ariana, as waning. It's in certainly, it's in that early stages of that. And what I found is that warrior wasn't serving my heart. It didn't feel particularly good. It may have served my pocketbook. It served my lifestyle and it served many other things, but it wasn't filling my heart. It wasn't bringing the joy into my life that I would like to see. Not that anything was bad or wrong or fu- it was all kind of fine, and but it wasn't suiting my life's journey. So hence that began my own personal warrior quest to really, I would say, shed what we would say in the shamanic traditions, shed all that no longer serves us. And in those indigenous communities, we think of the warrior as the rainbow warrior, the warrior that fights a war to end all warriors, warrior that comes to the planet to be the keeper and of our children and our grandchildren and the stone people and the plant people and all. So the emerging new warrior really is the, I would say, is the model for the keepers of the earth, the men and women who are now emerging like yourself to really tend to the well-being of the planet. And that's not to say we're not selfish, because of course we're tending to our own well-being, but it's also to say we know what we serve, know what we follow and the mission. So the light warrior, the rainbow warrior is alive and standing for freedom and liberation and sovereignty. Beautiful sovereignty. And I would like for those in our audience who are not acquainted with your journey and work, if you could give us a, for those who are watching the video, there's these beautiful wings in the background. So if you could give us a bird's eye view of your own personal journey from earth conqueror to 
Earth Keeper, because you have a fascinating history. You have a decades history of being a super successful CEO, serial entrepreneur, and that juxtaposed the transformation that you went through and what you're doing now. I'd love for you to share a bit about that, Adam. I would be happy to do that. And I'm a native Californian. I was blessed to be born and raised here. I went up to school up at University of California at Berkeley in the Bay Area. And I was, I, from early on in my life, I was fortunate to grow up in a little beach community called Malibu, which is just north of Los Angeles here in the 70s. And life was pretty unabandoned. It was like my folks just would say, Adam, just be home for dinner. Okay, there's no problem with that. And of course, it's all a playground and from how I approached it and experienced those early years and, and moving into the parts of our lives where we begin to shift into, let's just call it getting serious mm-hmm. about things and or at least getting in tow with what our culture or our parents or whatever it may be of what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I found it to be quite difficult. And I think maybe that was a bit of the rebellious, rugged individual Aries in me that just said, my way is the way I want to do this. And, but ultimately, I, I decided that I'd cut that long blonde hair off and head off to, to, to Berkeley to experience the next phase of my life. And I did. And I share that because you know, for two, two reasons. One is my first experience with kind of going into a structured environment like a university, which Berkeley happens to be one of the finer universities we have in, in here in the United States. But I, they didn't want me initially. They denied my application. And of course, I said, no way, this is what I want to do. And I appealed it. And I pushed it. And then they ultimately said yes. And they said, under one condition, that you take remedial English. And I said, oh, okay, I'll take remedial English. Now, you know, that I, from, as a fledgling writer who writes books today, it's like, how can you t- have to take remedial English? And ultimately, I took remedial English, but I failed remedial English. <laughs> <laughs> and I share that because it really was the first impetus for me to show up in new ways, to give myself voice, to do what I think I couldn't do and step beyond the journey, which hence led me to a career in business as a serial entrepreneur in the real estate arena, as an investment banker and a developer. And, and that, that was the launching of my early years that kicked me into the world, the business, into the into society, into the country clubs and the homes and the travel and all of that life and ultimately to receive the best gifts of that time, which is my three beautiful daughters. And uh, which can you believe I'm a grandfather now of six? I cannot <laughs> looking at you, yeah. but again, because that's we have certain preconceptions about yeah. how a grandfather looks like and what he radiates. And here you sit in front of me for those who are not watching, just strong, enjoy radiating energy, just really good, positive energy, youthful. Right. So, yeah. 
So, yeah, that's pretty much kind of the initial phases of the journey. And ultimately, of course, coming to the place where um, it, it began to break down, the proverbial dark night of the soul or however you want to, or it was an opening for me to really explore those parts of myself that I didn't really know anything about that made, that really didn't feel very loved. And hence that begin that began the quest to the, let's just call it the light warriorhood into new, new places and new territory and purposeful and meaningful work in the world. Yes. And I think what was, would be quite interesting for the listeners is, and correct me if I'm wrong with the numbers, but you were incredibly successful speaking in financial terms and what you were doing. I think you raised in the realm of billion dollars for the different real estate or the, the companies that you were active with, right? So you basically achieve what so many people think of as the pinnacle of, quote, success, which also, if we look at what our culture is teaching us, that equates happiness. Yet you came to a place where, like you just said, everything broke down. Can you tell us about that particular moment and what went through your head and mind and what actually caused this shift, this beginning of this quest? Absolutely. And I, I bring up such an important point around money, wealth, safety, trust, security. And all these things that are related, how we find our place in the world. How was I defining myself by, by my bank account, by, the, by my house, by my country club? And all of that was very true for me. And, and of course, those things are very comforting. They're very safe. It's a world and it, we just put up with the chaos in my life or the unhappiness that was there periodically or the disgruntled nature of my relationship with my wife at the time. So this is such an important thing that you're asking about, Ariana, because we're in the, I sense in the midst, as we're shifting in the bigger macro picture, we're also shifting within. I, I personally speak to that the greatest climate change is not in our external world, it's actually in our internal world. Mm. And that climate change struck like a storm out of a hurricane out of nowhere for me when I was 42. I'm 61 now. And, and it was at the pinnacle of my career and wealth creation in a traditional sense, oddly, And I'll never forget, I was having some, some cocktails. I did a lot of business on Wall Street and went in Rome, do as the Romans. So I was enjoying the journey on a, celebrating a large transaction that I closed on J.P. Morgan. And, and I came home and, I, and something just didn't feel, came back to the hotel, something just didn't feel right. It was off. And I'm going, I can't really, I can't do this. I can't do something that's just pinging me. I can't do this. 
And not long after that, I was driving to my offices in Los Angeles, Malibu, and I had adopted, and I believe this is something that is still the guiding, let's just call it zeitgeist in our financial world, in our culture, business world. I'd adopted this motto that I heard from a mentor in real estate when I first got into the business. And the motto is to live by the law of the jungle, which goes when the sun comes up in the jungle, whether you're the lion or the gazelle, you better run like hell, eat or be eaten. The mentality of the Darwinian Mm. mentality of survival of the fittest And I think we've seen time and time again what that mentality has done and what it's doing. It's destroying Mother Earth. It's been very destructive of all things feminine, in particular women. It's led to disease in every way in our culture and our society. So something intuitively within me said, I just can't go that way. And I was driving to work. The sun was coming up over the Santa Monica Bay. And I was running like hell early. And a dog ran in front of my car. And I, on the PCH, and I slammed on my brakes. And I, it just threw me for a loop. I stopped. They thought I was having a heart attack. And I... And it was confirming, I can't do this anymore. The Tums in the morning and the tequila at night don't cut it. So that hence began the pivot, the inquiry, the curiosity. Yes. What else? What's yes. possible? Yes. No. And you, yeah. yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So that was a bit of the tripwire into mm-hmm. Adam moving from his 1.0 life to the 2.0 life. Yes. And you actually underwent quite a transformation. You threw yourself into new experiences. You traveled to Peru, not knowing why, or you started traveling. You started doing quests. I think you went to Peru in 2012. I went in two, I started in 2005 and I've been six, six times since then, but I was begin that journey around the globe to look at different traditions, Buddhist traditions and other traditions. And that began the journey into the deserts and the mountains and the Indian nation, as I referred to it as at the time, into the desert southwest of the U.S., which is rich with tradition and indigenous culture. So, yeah, I begin that journey, including what I now refer to as my homeland, my spiritual homeland, which is Peruvian jungles and mountains and sacred valleys. Where you actually just returned from a few weeks ago. I'm curious, Adam, so for somebody who is seeking, like you were starting to seek back then, and you you travel, you seek to connect with wisdom, with other cultures, with teachers, how were you received? in these different places by the different people you were seeking to learn from? Such a wonderful way to explore the journey because, like you said, we don't actually know what we're going into. This was driven by the push of 
the pain, the mm. push of the conflict in life, the push that where we never feel that inner peace. Mm. And that be, that's the push that, that I came from to become the seeker. And I do have something to say to, to about seeking, share it in a minute. But really, to your point, Ariana, how do we step in? How did it feel to step into the unknown? And I was very fearful. And the fear of, was really driven initially by what I may lose or what was to be left behind, my wealth my children, my life, my everything. And there's a, I felt that tremendous fear of that. And so it created the hesitancy initially, but then the infinite impetus and the call, the answering of the call to adventure, the answering of the call to become unbound to become free of what was the pull that said yes do this yes explore the unknown and the receptivity was universally unequivocally from the children i met to the wisdom keepers and the earth keepers the shamans the priest the wise ones, the philosophers, was unequivocally, yes, come here. We're here to be with you. We're here to share with you. It was incredibly abundant with love and light and invoked many deep questions to really sit. This can be a safe journey. Mm. This is the journey where I can feel a deeper trust of what my heart says, not what my head fears. Yes. So it's, it was, it, and it's, it hasn't changed. <laughs> it remains, I was just back, as you mentioned, from a quest. And, but what I will circle this in with this great question you asked, Ariana, I will say that the seeking journey does end. And the difficult I, difficulty I found at times in my journey of seeking early on is it's, it can be really fun. It's really all right, because why not learn? Why not expand? Why not unlearn? Mm-hmm. Why not step into the newness of it? It could be ecstatic and all kinds of other things. And it is. But ultimately, what I realized is that winds down and moves into a place of what we've found in the treasures that are uncovered in the darkness of that unknown. And the fullest idea of what do you do with those treasures? You step into your mission. You step into the work of service. You step into living your best life now. So I'm a strong advocate when I work with my clients and in my writings and things that I'm doing to think in terms of closure and winding down that part of the journey, not to bypass the journey, but ultimately to say, 
that we have mission. The planet needs you. There's people waiting for you and your story, your brilliance, your light to shine yourself, to bring it forth in your own unique way. That's any way is the right way. There's no wrong way or right way here, but now more than ever you're needed. And that's why it's, I think, important to know, to let go. You're complete. You're good. Let's go. So I'm happy to be on it with you today. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Yes. And I'm so happy about that too, Adam. And I think it's a really important point you brought up that there is an end to the seeking where you step from the seeking into service. And you have said in one of our, on one of the excellent videos that you've posted online, that there is such a need for us to step into service now. And the stakes are super high. It's the sovereignty of our body, our mind, and our soul that are at stake. And that we cannot fail this. We cannot fail ourselves, our children, our grandchildren. And you brought up something else that's really crucial. You spoke about unlearning just a minute ago. And usually when we speak, when we think about growing and evolving, what comes to mind is learning. And what we tend to forget that a large part is also about unlearning. And in your book, The Divine Genius, The Unlearning Curve, you take the reader on a journey of exactly that. You help us to recognize and also rise above all these disempowering programs that we suck up just from the moment we're born, maybe even before epigenetically. And I would like to know from you, what are some of the most important first steps to begin this unlearning curve? Absolutely. In my study of my journey, both from a scientific and a spiritual perspective, I was very curious about unlearning and the power of unlearning. And so I'd like to just frame that before we talk into kind of a few initial steps, if it's okay with you. Please. Because the, when I went into the writing period and exploring the unlearning, really studying geniuses and the power of unlearning, and what ultimately is revealed in the unlearning process. And it was really demonstrated early on by some of the the modern innovators like Steve Jobs and Wozniak and came into creating Apple, the computer. And when they were doing that out of Wozniak's garage, it was all about not just putting it together, but really taking it apart. Because when they took it apart, they did the deconstruction, they were able to learn more by taking it back and then putting it together and then taking it back away from what what came together. So I, I said, what if we can apply that to the human condition? And the that and what's really important about unlearning in as I share it in the divine genius, the unlearning curve is I came forth to share this with a hypothesis that we need really learn nothing in the context of the totality of who we are, the brilliance 
the, the light, the genius, the whole human operating system, the you got to say it, it's, it's extraordinary, is it not? And we seemingly think, oh, we've got to have these things in our external world. Those are fine. And that's a, we get that. But most important, what I think we forget is that we have been given this extraordinariness, mm. this genius, every one of us. And we just layer on so many things and so much trauma and abuse and all these things that we forget that piece. So the idea of unlearning is to just peel back those proverbial layers, those ensheathings that ensheathe our energetic and our physical and emotional world. We get ensheathed, our heart is hardened, mm-hmm. our left brain is charging and analyzing and conquering. Mm-hmm. And all these things get relegated somewhere else where we actually forget about our brilliance. We forget about our genius. So the unlearning takes us back to what we've always been, the brilliance, the light, the genius that I mentioned to you. And in the Divine Genius, the Unlearning Curve, my latest book, I speak to the journey that I took personally to experience what that was like for myself and what the science says around that, although it's not a scientific book, it speaks directly to our connection to this greater field, the quantum field of our potentiality. Yes. And I love that so much. Your book is on the one side, it's deeply personal and you go through all the ups and downs. And I think that is something this, this raw honesty about where you've been that is such a gem of wisdom that we can learn so deeply from. And I also love that you tie this to quantum physics. And one of my other favorite authors, Bruce Lipton, he actually said about your book that it's a, he called it a consciousness template to apply quantum physics to your life. (laughs) Excellent. Very grateful for my Friend, dear friend Bruce Lipton, and for sharing such generous words. And in the indigenous culture, Ariana, we, we subscribe to one thing if you can't grow corn with it, it's not worth much. <laughs> so, how are we growing corn? And the unlearning allows us to take these steps, based essentially, that I give a pretty decent exploration of that unlearning, and really by moving into what I referred to as the genius process, which is just a simple process of looking and questioning the current, your current thinking, your current design of how we function, which I referred to as in in the egoic part of ourselves, the self that is identified, that identifies as separate yeah. That's the underlining tenet. It identifies with a thought of separation. And of course, separate from nature, separate from, that's impossible. There's, it's, 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 it's silly in its own, but that part of every single one of us identifies that way. So the idea here is just to take the, your perceptual lens and, and, and begin to question those parts of our life that want to defend, that want to hide, that have that are fearful, that come from a lack mentality, 
that we look at that. And I offer some central, this kind of these, what these are, these, what I described as universal, 13 universal wisdom teachings. So they just hold some wisdom to look at how we can forgive ourselves, for example. How we can forgive others, not for what they did, but for what we all did not do. And we forgot that we're all connected. Doesn't dismiss what happened in somebody's life. It doesn't take away to these events that have gone on for you. But why have let the past or other people have power over how you want to live your life? No way. And that's what we do in our lives. We live in that past conditioning. Yes. And there's something about forgiveness that you've said that really struck a chord with me. And I'm curious about it. You said that forgiveness is a process and not an ending. What does that mean? I love that. And if I would say to anything, if you, when you read this book, if you do, I hope you do, <clears throat> the power of forgiveness as put forth in the book is literally the power to free you from the energetic and the conditionings and living traumas and abuses that you've experienced to free you from that. And, and the reason why I share with you, it's a process, not an ending. And this really comes from my deep study and teachings around A Course in Miracles. And that is forgiveness is something that I practice every day, some at some point in some way, and primarily forgiveness of myself because mm-hmm. we're st- I'm still here, and I still have things going on where I find myself a little off the rail about something, or a little edgy about something, or somebody's cutting you off on the whatever it is, and I can feel the energy still of that. No, we're, 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 it's not like twinkling off into white light. No, we're very much engaged here. That's the whole idea of this crazy, crazy fun journey. And, and forgiveness allows us to navigate through these life experiences in the present moment without an engagement where the ego would get engaged and it'd be really reactive. Get back into the fight or flight, the fear of I'm not doing enough. My God, I've got to schedule this and that. Oh, I need this person in my life to fulfill all of that. We must forgive ourselves for one simple reason. And I want to emphasize it again. For forgetting of our interconnectedness with mother nature each other and the world. We forget that. And when we're in that place, of course, there's no separation. And in no separation, the oneness and unity of it all, there's only that love. And that's not to be woo-wish. It's only to say it's for real. It's for real. And why not be in that space at least as much as possible? Yes. Yeah, absolutely, Adam. And you said something about joy, this crazy, also joyful just journey that we have throughout this life. And we actually had a call just to meet each other and get introduced to each other uh, before you kindly agreed to become my guest on this podcast. Uh, we were introduced by our dear friend, Jennifer Hill. So gratitude to you, Jen. Shout out here. And during that call, or actually at the end of the call, uh, you said, I have one request. Let's have fun. 
and uh, which I love. And you also, I've when I did the had the pleasure of getting to do all the research and learning about all you do. I read about something that you wrote that it was you seriously don't have to get so serious about life. And if anything, it's the opposite. And you've also coined the terms of terminal seriousness and terminal joy. Can you unpack that for us, please? <laughs> yeah, a- a- absolutely. And sadly, according to the most recent Gallup poll in people in the United States are often not happy. And that seeking egoic separate self is seeking happiness. And happiness is a real, is a lightweight compared to joyfulness. It's very light and it's very fleeting. Joyfulness is pervasive in, in, in all beings. It's actually there and very present. The question is, how do we come into a place of our joyfulness? How do we begin to take this journey where it just bubbles up within us? In other words, how do we in the terminal seriousness of our lives? And, and so I've been on this personal mission to find the cure for terminal seriousness. Of course, it's joyfulness. <laughs> and I've been getting some wonderful answers to that question. And, and one of the things that I'm finding is that if I kind of look at it, just in a linear kind of left brain here for a moment, folks, <clears throat> that one of the things that I found in my life as I was sharing as I left my early years in Malibu and the unabandoned be home for sunset at a moments to go into the seriousness of the world and the business world and all that that entails is it takes away from the innocence and the magic of just simply being alive. And what I found in my latter years of this journey, and it's t- it's taken a while because I was carrying a lot of heavy energy or old woundings and lifetimes for that matter, if you believe in that stuff, is that the magic had gone away. And the curiosity and the innocence had fallen by the wayside. So when I began to say what's around the corner and to explore the different parts of this world or nature is She's my greatest teacher. And to be in the magnificence and the purity of that, 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 that journey, it, it helped to cultivate and root the magic within. And so I believe that it is the secret to life, is cultivating the magic and the innocence within you so that you can be forever curious about the newness of every moment in every person. And that brings forth joyfulness. Yes. Curiosity being in the now versus the past and the present. And I personally have had quite a journey that I'm still on with Mm -hmm. connecting with joy. I'm a generally very optimistic person. I have thought a lot about this in the past years. For example, reasons why 
we may be too serious. <clears throat> Some can be, like you said, you're carrying trauma from lifetimes or this lifetime. Some may actually also be you're carrying the heaviness of others. I come to think of my own father, who I love very much. He was born in 1935. So he was a little boy in Germany during wartime and then the hungry years. So what he has experienced when he was very little and no way to defend your little psyche or your little body against what was put on you by the outside, by this adult quote world, it's no wonder that you may end up pessimistic. And what I've seen in myself, especially my teenage years, early 20s, I had a huge tendency towards catastrophizing. <laughs> and just in the last years, I was like, epigenetically, that kind of makes sense. If one of your closest kin, you, who you offsprang from, actually experiences during such formative years, the world is absolutely dangerous and the worst could happen at any moment. So I find it really helpful to when contemplate not only what has happened in the lifetime that we can remember, but also keep in mind how have our family, our ancestors maybe lived and how may that inform how we react to the world and how we think about it. On another level, what touches me so much about you is you are on a, real, on a big mission. And part of your mission is to help people reframe, realign their thought processes with regards to how they, they do business. And you are so positive. You're so joyful. And I know that a lot of people I know who also, they want to facilitate change in the world, yet often they break down in the face of seems just like monumental challenges and sadness will overwhelm them in the face of injustices that they observe or even witness personally. So how do you personally keep your optimism, especially when times are a little tough or don't look so good? Before I answer that question, I want to just acknowledge you and say thank you for sharing what you just shared about your, your father and the life that you grew up in, I think. It, it's there's nothing more powerful than the embrace of our own journey and in whether it's ingrained in a culture or a family i don't want to be remiss to ignore that because your courage of what you shared and i think it invites all of us that we must move through it not around it in other words we want to run and not explore or do these things but the power of it has such a great freedom, a great liberation. So thank you for that. It means, I felt that it means a lot to even hear that. So I appreciate that, Ariana. We live in daunting times, indeed. And our challenges that we are facing <clears throat> are, enor are enormous. They're not particularly unique to the millennium, the human journey. We've had the wars and we've had the all the things, the pandemics and all the things that have come and that we faced. And we've always faced them. And we've always moved through them and we've been able to regenerate and recalibrate our humanness. And earlier I said that I felt that the greatest climate change is the one that's happening within ourselves. The words 
the great imperative is to tend to the well-being and vibrancy of your life. And that's not a selfish thing to do because we do that tending and that loving and nurturing and caring for ourselves because we do it for others. And then that allows us to be more expansive and to be do our work and our mission in the world or tend to our children or our husband and our communities or wives or whatever that may be. So this is an important point because <clears throat> what I have found, Ariana, as we <clears throat> meet these challenges that in this dualistic experience that we have, that the challenges are great, but the opportunities are probably even greater. Mm. And one of the things I look at scientifically, at least, and study a little bit over the years as in relationship to conscious evolution, because that's really the vein of my work and generically on a macro basis is conscious evolution. How is our how are we evolving and how are we choosing to evolve in our own personal lives and in, in our cultures and our nation states and in our greater humanity as a whole? that we are a mirror of evolution, the evolution that's happening on a planetary scale, well, really on a quantum scale. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, if you've seen the photos that are out today from the James Webb telescope, mm -hmm. where they're peering back to almost to the Big Bang, it'll, they're really mind boggling openers. And but when we think of our evolution as human evolution, you think of your evolution, when we reflect into what's going on in our planet with our climate conditions, we've lost 62% of our biodiversity in the last 52 years, according to the World Wildlife Federation. We're experiencing what we call a, an evolutionary thrust, where in a very short period of time, we're having rapid biodiversity, rapid changes on the planet. Now, we've seen this in the previous five extinction periods. And the point that I want to, that I'm a little verbose getting to, but I want to make here is that equal to that is our opportunity for growth. Equal to that is our opportunity for expansion into our brilliance, into our light, into our genius, into our greater potential. And the invitation is here, do we want to fight it? Do we want to resist it? Do we want to continue with our same old patterns and old habits, being ridiculously serious? <laughs> or do we want to just ride this like our own human rocket ship into our greatest potential mm. that's already present here for us. So I'm very optimistic about things. I have, as I mentioned, six granddaughters. I believe <laughs> the world is challenged as never before, yeah. but I found maybe a little bit of my own secret sauce recently in my journey to the mountain, in the Andean mountain in Peru, to the mountain of the divine wild feminine Sulkintai. Uh -huh. And what I found, and I'll share it with you if it's okay. Yes. What I found is in that trek 
I'm not, I consider myself in decent physical condition, at least for 60. And that what I found is that it challenged me in every way as never before. In every way, meaning body, physically, mind, heart, my emotions, tested me to the core of spirit and soul and brought me into the deepest presence of that as I was laboring and struggling to even get up the mountain at 14, 15,000 feet. And what it all came down to, it all came down to the heart. What kind of heart do you have? And I'm now feel more than ever that when we bring our hearts together, nothing is impossible. We really can do the unthinkable. We can really do the unimaginable. We can really step in to our genius. That's, that was a nice takeaway and a nice thing to bring home to share with you today and all of your listeners. Thank yes. you for allowing me to share that, those words. Thank you for sharing that, Adam. And I personally like so much what your teachings convey, that it, it's all, everything comes back to the heart, right? Once you can let go of the trappings of the brain or the mind, the ego, it all comes back to heart. And you are also very vocal about the this illusion that so many of us are burdened with that separation is the truth and nothing could be further from the truth and i find it so interesting when we look at our hearts in particular how science now actually tells us that our hearts actually can sync up when we're close to each other and that there's also information conveyed by our hearts and that is just literally brain-blowing, where we think our brains are the only thing that can help us connect. And that's simply not true. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just simply not true. And it's nice to have heart intelligence as well, is it not? My, my gosh, I, from, I guess I would say much of my life I didn't wasn't in touch with my heart as much as I certainly am now not that I wasn't because children always invoke that and help bring me to the wisdom that they my children have and grandchildren do and other children but you're so right about this heart intelligence and we think about our leadership are we how are we leading our lives are we servants of leadership or what kind of how are we leading our how about leading with the heart? How about love intelligence? How about love leadership? How about knowing that just that vibration right now, most of my work is centered around the vibrational frequency that we emanate in our energetic body. This is an electrical field we're looking at here. This is a light field that's electric. And so how are we sharing these moments 
in with others, this deeper connection with others and this vibrational intelligence. And how does that speak to the heart? Mm-hmm. What's more powerful is an electrical pulse than our heart. So love, love that for sure. Yeah, indeed. Yes. And it's uh, at the beginning of the conversation, you also brought it up. I'm not quite sure of the exact words, but you were speaking about how many, how often our hearts are hardened or closed. And I feel it really is a softening and opening back up to actually free these supernovas of energy (laughs) and connection, connectivity that our hearts truly are. You speak about that in a sense also when you talk about how to actually manage these times of great crisis, which are also times of great opportunity. But so many of us feel really stressed out by the uncertainty and the pressure Mm. we experience on so many different levels. And one of the, the suggestions, the guidance that you have for us is connecting with community. Are there some other tips you can share with us on how to avoid crises or how to navigate this time of great change and also great chaos as it often appears to us. Completely and and absolutely. And we, we just touched upon that heart space, that heart intelligence. And just to touch more, uh, touch in on that a little bit, because we are parasympathetic and our sympathetic nervous system, our wiring, when it is out of kilter, then we're being thrust into a flight or flight, fight or flight mode, right? So in those states, we're creating cortisol and creating very stressful, inflammatory states within the body. And one of the first things that that I certainly advocate for people is to, you know, really embrace their breath more. I used to be more of a shallow breather. Or I would find myself panting in moments because I was off in my head, not in my heart of breathing. So there's all those kind of practical, mindful pieces of our life's journey that are the mental piece and the mindful piece and the physical piece. And then, of course, supporting through our breathing and attuning to our cortisol levels in our nervous system is working to rewire those connections that are within ourselves. And the greatest place I find for that is in the presence of of nature. And in particular, the elements, we look into the elements of fire, air, water, earth, and then the the general ether of it all. And that has supported me and just feeling and I like, of course, I'm out in California, I like the warmth, the sun, I like to get in the ocean, I like to be in the tree, be just feel the breeze. So I like, personally do a lot of attunement with the element elements in nature, because it brings back my nervous system. And it brings my nervous system into a state of calm. And, and I had a tinge of anxiety over the years. And one of the things in the deconstruction of the old modeling of myself and the old design of that, the, that, that egoic mind design 
the deconstruction has energetic fallout. And was it's just if you releasing air out of balloon, you feel it has this kind of thing. So we're so the energetic rewiring of the human energetic system, both around us but also within our own nervous system has a bit of that release so how do we find that we find it through whatever makes you joyful and present but i find that through nature i think it's essential more than ever and the word i think many of us and maybe i'll speak for from as a man in particular is the deep-seated fear of intimacy. And this is an intimate space that I'm speaking to. So as a man, and I certainly can't speak, and you can maybe speak to this yourself, I would think so, that coming into a more intimate space like this can be a little fearful, a little sensitive in when it's something that maybe is not perceived as being a man. Maybe it's something that's that says, oh, you're not supposed to be in an intimate relationship with nature or a, a deeper connection with yourself and feeling into that. And that's a bigger conversation here, Ariana, but I, just speaking up as a man, it's important now to more than ever during these times of great conflict and great chaos. And we're just at the rest of it, folks. We're going to see more of this in deep, profound ways that we have not seen many of us in our lifetimes. And so preparation, adaptation, regeneration of our own body, mind, spirit, soul, coming into the intimacy of self, deeper love of self, deeper love of the of nature is to me the key to thriving and i always laugh because much of our culture stills design let's survive let's sustain <laughs> let's thrive let's regenerate and birth the new world together so there's a lot there but maybe you have a few thoughts on that yourself on your thoughts about how we can come into this next thrust of our own evolution and relationship to the world. Thank you for that, Adam. And I want to recognize you for not only what you just shared about intimacy and how in the type of culture that we live in, how it can be viewed as not. Lynn, which it's so telling about our culture. We have such a skewed perception of what masculine or feminine means. Most people don't even realize that masculine is not just tied to man. Feminine is not just tied to feminine, to the female. This goes so far beyond than genders, the male, the female, anything in between. Holy. These are polarities that 
need to exist, coexist within us, the microcosm, within the larger, the macrocosm in order to create. So when there is an imbalance of that, when we suppress or negate either the feminine or the masculine in us, it causes dis-ease. And if we suppress and negate it and subjugate it on a larger scale, culturally, like we've seen in the past thousands of years via the the system and the indoctrination of patriarchy. It's no wonder we're seeing some of these outcomes that we're seeing now. Man separate from nature. Nature is something to be dominated, not seeing ourselves as part of nature, not seeing ourselves as part of a larger organism that humanity also is. So I think reestablishing the intimacy, the into me see, and truly seeing all the parts of ourselves, also the darker parts, the parts we may not be so proud of, the parts that hurt to look at, the painful parts, to just see them, to sit with them, to accept them, to love with them, and in that way transmute and becoming whole again, on a personal level, but also on a societal level, that will help us propel ourselves forward to humanity to, oh, becoming whole again. And this also ties into this entire story of separation. We're separate from everything. Where this, I like to repeat this because I, I like this man's teaching so much. Watts, I think he used the words where this separate meat sack floating through a hostile universe. So <laughs> no, no wonder we're so out of sync. No wonder we're constantly in a state of fight or flight and everyone's out there to get me. I'm on my own. So right. and, yeah. <laughs> so it's really a time of great unraveling of all these false narratives that have burdened us physically, psychologically so much for such a long time. And I'm curious to know from you, you say, and I've heard that from others as well, were very much not only into the growing themselves and the communities who are also very much observing of what's happening. You said that everything is going to get more intense. What do you foresee for the next 10, 20 years? What ought well, we prepare for? Yeah, yeah. First of all, thank you for all that was just packed with so much wisdom and life and love that you shared. And I'm really writing in that 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 energy of that unlearning piece that we spoke at, that unraveling piece, that deconstruction piece, and uh, but also the piece of getting on with our lives and living the brilliance of who we are. And so I can't e emphasize that enough from a regenerative place as, a, as we say biomimic, we mimic what nature does. It, it's regenerating. It doesn't, it gets on with the journey of evolution. And, uh, and of course, anytime when we think about this thrust of our own personal evolution, where is that thrusting us to? What When we move thinking of our, past to our present to our future shamanically we speak into the what is your destiny line and of course we can speak of it in the in the bigger sense the macro sense that we have what is the line of our hu humanity and the alto Maseoks, the high seers in the shamanic in the lineage that i'm from is we can look into those timelines and we can peer into that 
movement. And right now we're being offered an opportunity to collectively be in our hearts, to nudge that destiny into a place of our greatest place of expression and thriving versus nudging it over into, well, off the cliff, for example. So this is really important is what I'm saying to your question. And it's not so much of what is going to happen. It's more of a question, what are you doing right now with your own life to fulfill it and live your fullest and it just expand yourself in your own personal journey. But I will address it in some ways because the destiny line in, in, in general is one that science is showing very clearly that from a ecological perspective with the destruction of our biodiversity and the tremendous impact that that we have going on with climate change, which is both a a combination of human impact, probably the majority, and also Earth is alive as well and changing and shedding. She's doing her thing as well. That, that, That line is just ramping up where those challenges are will become much more severe. We'll see it in the sea levels. We're seeing it in heat, we're seeing it in the water, we're going to see it in all kinds of ways. And that most certainly is underway. But we also have other things on the macro basis, from from an economic perspective, where we got massive problems with sovereign debt in our nations. We have other challenges that put look at the pandemic and other things around this. So we have these enormous challenges, all of which we can face, all of which we can invent and, and regenerate. So I'm very optimistic about some of those particular things. And I'm also strongly emphasizing that to to not just tune our telescope in the outward way, but also to do so by looking in the other end of the telescope where we're going inward, where we're seeing the depth of who we are, where we're seeing the genius of who we are. We're we're moving away from an old system of functioning in this just brilliant human design, this computer of us, where we're reconstituting, where we're rewiring, where we actually have the ability to become our own software engineers, where we re-engineer our internal software, like Bruce talks about so much with epigenetics. So we get to do all of that. And we shouldn't underestimate what that means for our lives, other than to have a hell of a good time and have a lot of love and fun in our life and embrace the abundance of the world. So we get to do that. So when we look at the destiny of our destiny line, we can adopt, are we fated here? Are we faded by the challenges that we face, the systemic things that seem to be embedded within our culture, or are we destined to our greater potentiality, to our greater experience in the now, in the present moment? And it's a bit of both, of course. It is. But the in, but I invite, and what I, my work is often around, is the power of our story, the story that each of us tell, things that have bringing forth is that is your destiny line. Destiny is not something that happens. It's something that we 
create together. Yes. So very feeling, feeling good about all of it, in, including that which seems daunting in its own. And I think there are two words that you've just mentioned that I'd love for you to give us your perception of them. The one is destiny and the other is fate. Can you tell us the difference between the two? Yeah, no, abs absolutely. And I actually write about, about the, in, in The Divine Genius, I very specifically focus on destiny. And mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's important that we take hold of our destiny. And when we come into this world, of course, we all, here we all show up into this place going, well, what's going on here? And we're parents and our culture and our life and our languages and our blemishes and all the things that we come within our human fallibility. We adopt that mindset that egoic mindset, we identify it. And I certainly know that I did. One that could say, my gosh, I'm fated to heart disease. I'm fated to live in this poor neighborhood. I'm fated to just die along the way, slowly. Maybe it takes 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 80 or 100 years, if you're, oh, with just that's the journey. Yes, and <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> okay, so this is the beauty of being the co-creator for your life, right? Maybe that's, a, I think, a very relevant term. Do we want to cooperate with others? Do we want to cooperate with the quantum field, the abundance of nature? Do we want to come into the place where we can really allow our hearts to live and allow our soul's voice to be heard? And that begins the destiny journey. That begins to say something. I'm, I can turn my heart disease gene off and turn on my optimal wellness, health and wellness parts of my life. I can begin to live and to transcend what seemingly I was fated to do. I can leave the blighted, poor, can't put food on the table neighborhood, and I can rise into tower of business or in medicine or in politics. We get to do that. And freedom allows us to do that. And so I believe that the idea of destiny is one where we can be connected in our and be aware and make conscious the faded part of our journey. And ultimately to know that the true part of our journey, the authentic part of ourselves, is the destined part of ourselves. You choose how you want to play with those two things in life. And that's the beauty of it in so many ways. Yes. Yeah. And speaking about this life, this lifetime, Adam, you were inspired by the question, can you get out of this lifetime alive? <laughs> What conclusion did you come to? <laughs> I, that's... That was the first big question that landed on me like a ton of bricks when I 
got on, I got on the shamanic path. Uh-huh. And it was posed by my dear friend and dear brother and, and, a, and a wonderful human being, soul and heart, heart being, luminous being, luminous warrior, rainbow warrior, Alberto Bialdo. And of course, the question is posed, what the F are you talking about? Get out of this lifetime alive. And of course, it's not about physically getting out of this lifetime alive. Because it immediately poses the question, am I simply a physical being? Am I physically a body? And then hence begins the journey. No, you're not that. Okay. That's just the idea here. But what is getting out of this lifetime alive? What does that mean? And what are the implications in your life? If you can become conscious and aware of your own transcendent nature and possibility now, not at the end of your life, not Mm. what did you miss? Oh my God, this is it. But no, you free yourself. We liberate ourselves from this little idea that we're this separate little body and we're so special and all this stuff, but we liberate ourselves into our place of our, what in Eastern traditions would refer to as the egoic death. And the embrace here is so much more than letting go of the idea of separation and the ego and this thought of that. The idea of getting out of this lifetime is one where we are freed into our sovereignty of being, where we recognize that there's this greater multidimensional nature to being human. It's our connection to this greater quantum field and all of these other aspects of ourselves. And ultimately, when we do get to the end of our physical journey, Ariana, my goodness, guess what we get to bring with us? We get to bring our consciousness. Yay! We get to bring our light. (laughs) We get to bring our love. And we get to leap into that journey and which can take us back to the garden of Eden that we know on the other side. Or it could take us back to the stone garden if we're not aware of our consciousness and we just are living in this seemingly puny state of idea of being simply mortal and being stuck in our life and death cycle. So that's a bit of the journey of getting out of this lifetime alive. And in both of my, my, my books that are out, I speak very much about this journey, especially in the last book about how you can do that and how you can do that tonight. Let's take the rocket ship of consciousness and love <laughs> into that lush garden and onward from there. During this lifetime, though, while we are going through this lifetime, 
And I know one of your foundational practices and what's been fundamentally changing for you to reconnect with nature. Is there any pr other practice that you'd be willing to share with us that has elevated you mentally, physically, spiritually on this lifetime journey? Absolutely. And thank you for that. And of course, there's all the aspects that make it so rich and full, which is deep relationships and connections and learning and all the brilliance of the teachers and philosophers and all, the, all that is so rich and full. And there is that outer peace. But when we think about becoming supernatural, when we think about, at least from a shamanic tradition, in the shamanic world as we intermediate between form and the formless, as we activate the, this greater multidimensional nature, a, a lot of people turn to medicinal medicines, for example, and uh, which is fine. Of course, this is not a right or wrong. I'm not even really making a comment about whether you do that or you don't do that. And very much plays into the seeking journey. And, and for me, it held a very powerful place. But ultimately, the recognition is that you don't need any, any medicine because mm -hmm. we are the medicine. <laughs> we are the magic that goes with the medicine. And when I sense that when attuning to that self within, so the connection with nature is the most incredible mirror of the magnificence of who we are. What's more ep epic, beautiful, powerful, all, all things, masculine, feminine, light and dark than mother nature herself. But my sense of it is to come into a deep, presence within yourself to see into the inner temple where we shamanically we sit and we practice a lucid dream not a sleeping dream but just be in the lucidity of inner being now mindfulness is seeing the thoughts and being being present for that this is being in the presence of inner being the soul the inner temple through perception, and that can come through simple silence and connection in nature. And in there, I would bet that you will see the magnificence and the light and love of, of who you are. Mm -hmm. And so I like that as the most simple, straightforward practice of knowing that trust that safe place within you to recognize your own beauty within and power within yourself. Mm -hmm. And in that place is a deep inner peace and deep love. Mm -hmm. Beautiful and profound. Thank you for sharing that, dear Adam. For those amongst the audience who'd love to partake and learn even more from you and would love to connect with you, how can they do so? You certainly can go to my website, which is adamhall.solutions. There's all kinds of things on there that I share, just offer 
no cost or anything under offerings, including a, an, an ebook that's all about abundance. Now, I'm convinced that it's time to end this idea of lack and scarcity once and for all, which is an, a piece of this separate idea of self. So definitely check that out. And of course, my books are on Amazon. You can certainly pick up those and enjoy that. I would appreciate that support. And there's all kinds of other things emerging. So join our newsletter and share in the joy, share in the magic. And I'm, of course, more than happy to connect with you if you want to explore anything else to step into your destiny and to do so. Well, now get out of this lifetime straight up, straight away. So adamhall.solutions, feel free to check that out. Outstanding. Adam, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for this brilliant, heartfelt and profound conversation. I feel like we could talk even for hours longer, and I hope at some <laughs> point we do. I thank do you so much for being and for sharing your presence with us today. Thank you very much. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Evolution. 